Hello, welcome to the Cerebral Flex podcast. I'm your host, Jareth R.R. Blackstar. And unfortunately today, Namwon Sakati is not going to be joining us. Um, he has some personal family issues that he's taking care of. So we kind of talked about some topics that I might be able to um, discuss on my own. And this first one is going to be an interesting one. Um, I kind of talked to a couple friends who watched the podcast as well to see what they'd be interested in. And people seem to like when I talk about weird occult uh, spirituality stuff. So today, for episode 20, we're going to talk about demons and how they are misunderstood and misrepresented. Um, when it comes to the occult, paganism, um, alternative spiritualities, mysticism, and the like, um, there is a lot of work with not just yourself and the earth, but there is also work with different divinities. Um, there's so many different systems of magical orders and magical thought that it would take several podcasts to go over all of them. There's a uh, Hellenistic period magical orders. There's uh, Egyptian magical orders. Um, one that's very popular right now because of the show, I assume because of the show Vikings um, and because of the rise of... Uh, paganism in Europe is Norse mythology. There's, uh, there's Celtic work, um, pretty much anything that you could think of as far as what we would view as a, a mythological, um, a mythological religion is on the rise. Um, it's pretty offensive, I would say to call them mythologies, um, because what is to say that Christianity Islam, Judaism, or even religions with multiple divinities like uh, Hinduism are any less mythological than religions that uh, haven't been practiced widely for a long amount of time. So on this episode, we're not going to get into all the nuances of that. We're going to get more into the nuances of demons. How did they become demons? Why do people work with demons? Um, anybody who is on social media or who even pays attention to the news. Um, there was obviously the satanic panic of the 90s with the rise of Satanism via Anton LaVey, uh, the Church of Satan. Um, and now I've seen articles recently posted or come across my Google News homepage about uh, witch talk or Tumblr and the rise of the witches and stuff like that. And there's all this big satanic panic around it. Um especially when it comes to uh, the three major religions, particularly Christianity and, and uh, Islam. There's a lot of uh, a lot of opinions on uh, witchcraft and the evils of it. So today we're gonna use history to debunk a lot of things and kind of explain how these concepts came about. Um, so first of all, and I'm going to be reading off notes, so excuse me if I'm not looking at the camera this entire time or you hear my mouse clicking. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot of different different things here at once, but we took some notes today. <clears throat> and so, demons. Why do people work with demons or call certain entities demons? Um, I don't like particularly using the word demon. 
um, when talking about spirits that are classically seen as demons, like we'll say Lucifer, for example. Um, I think it's kind of like a rude term, um, just like, you know, you have terms that you're not really allowed to say because they're they're rude and racist towards people of different ethnicities. I kind of feel like demons is like the the Christian concept of like in inward. Um, obviously, they've been called demons for so long that even people who practice with these spirits or interact with these spirits or have relationships with these spirits also call them demons. They're also spiritual forces entities call them what you will um and so they don't really seem to mind being called it um i haven't seen anybody really get upset about it um but you know let's take for example the spirit of uh loki people would say based on the characteristics that he has, especially based off of the myths and stuff like that, that he's the Norse devil. But nobody that, to my knowledge, goes around calling Loki a demon uh, because that would be rude and disrespectful. So kind of the same thing when it comes to these demons. A lot of them come from very, very ancient civilizations. What we're going to see is uh, a lot of these entities were... Um, named or labeled demons by uh the israelites and judaism because they were trying to make sure that the worship of these entities was not a thing um but first we got to talk about the concept of demons as fallen angels how did this narrative of all demons are fallen from heaven how did how did that concept uh come about so this misconception about demons in the Christian viewpoint, um, that they're minions of Lucifer and that the host of hell is made up of fallen angels and rebelled uh, against the host of heaven is just demonstrably false. Because if you're part of any Catholic or Protestant religion and you've read the Bible, there's really no mention of, excuse me, I'm going to clear my throat a minute. <clears throat> There's no mention of a fall from heaven. Um, there's no talk about an epic battle that takes place between uh, St. Michael casting Lucifer out of heaven and into hell. And we'll go over that. We'll go over the miss, uh, the, the quote that was taken out of context. Um, but so the idea of a fallen host of angels actually comes from a bunch of different apocryphal books. Um, and what the apocryphal books are, are books that were not accepted as the main canon of, as part of the Hebrew Bible. Um, a lot of the Catholic and Christian uh, books that are taken are, are taken from the Hebrew Bible. Um, and so these books that aren't even accepted as canon especially a book called the book of Enoch. I'm sure some people have heard of it. Um, the book of Enoch is not considered part of canon because it kind of just expounds on a single line in uh, Genesis. And in Genesis, the line is something I should have actually pulled it up, but the line essentially says Enoch 
was, I believe, the grandfather of Noah, and he ascended into heaven. And the whole book of Enoch is actually this big story compiled of um, several different parts that kind of expands on who Enoch is and what happened during his time. Um, so the book of Enoch, it has several parts to it. From the Book of the Watchers, which is primarily what we're going to be discussing when it comes to fallen angels, all the way to the Epistle of Enoch. Um, in the Book of Enoch, the text describes the angels as watchers over mankind. And that's generally the type of term that I like to use for any um, spirit or entity that is got some angelic nature to it. So... Um, the classic like archangels, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael. I would refer to them as a watcher of mankind, just as much as I would say a Lucifer is a watcher. Um, and if you practice the occult, you'll pick up different energies and different intuitive things when it comes to the spiritual makeup of entities and you'll start to figure out your own classifications of what you would call certain things. Um, but for the sake of this, um, I like to describe angels as watchers because it kind of makes sense in their spiritual role. They're supposed to help guide and protect you and watch over you. <clears throat> so in the text, it says that these watchers were placed on earth to look over mankind and these watchers became corrupted. Um, they started coveting the wives of men and they started copulating with them. Um, and they, these angelic beings that were crossed with the women, uh, were known as the Nephilim or giants. Um, if you <laughs> do a Google search or YouTube video about Nephilim, um, there are so many videos and articles discussing the topic and what it is it's not even we're not even going to get into it um there's way too much about it uh when it comes to the nephilim i have my own ideas about what they might potentially be um but as for like angels physically you know having sexual relations, spiritual entities, having sexual relations with women, and then bearing forth like half human, half spiritual beings that then grew up to be giants. Um, I mean, I guess weirder things could happen, right? Um, so that's why kind of the book of Enoch is a little bit discredited too, because there's a lot of just really weird mystical things that happen in it. Um, so during this time that the watchers who were on earth were copulating with women and bearing forth the Nephilim, who were these giants that began eating mankind, um, the watchers, they were teaching the men how to do all sorts of things, how to create weapons, perform magic, uh, how to use and apply makeup, learn astrology, and, and many other things. Um, there's, it, It's an interesting juxtaposition to the garden of eden because in the garden of eden adam and eve they take the apple of 
uh, good and evil, the apple of knowledge, and they're given all this knowledge. Um, and in that knowledge, they become aware of like their nakedness and they, they receive the knowledge of what is morally good and what is morally evil. And in this, it's kind of replicating that, but it's trying to make everything that they're learning sound negative because they're learning how to perform magic, how to put makeup on themselves, how to read the stars, but they're also being taught how to craft weapons and create warfare. Um, and so the Nephilim, these, these giants, they're eating mankind. Uh, they're being taught by the watchers how to create weapons and they're warring with each other finally. Um, and mankind is just miserable and they, they cry out to God for help in the book. And so God decides to send his four angels to earth. Um, Gabriel, he's tasked with coming down and just destroying the Nephilim, um, wiping them off the face of the earth. Um, Michael, he is tasked with throwing the leader of the fallen angels, who's not named Lucifer, but in the book of Enoch, the leader of the fallen angels is named Shimiaza. And Michael, he he takes the leader of the fallen angels and he throws Simyaza into hell. And then other angels who are accompanying Michael take the other watchers who are on earth who have been teaching mankind different things and, and throw them into hell as well. In the book of Enoch, there are several named watchers who are, are thrown into the pits of hell. None of them are named Lucifer. Um, there are some people in the occult, I don't think that, Simyaza was very a very prevalent spirit to work with for a long time. He seems to have um he seems to have kind of had a resurgence of late, which is interesting. Um I would say one of the most popular angels that are demons who were thrown into hell from the book was probably one named Azazel. Um but again, I wouldn't really consider any of these entities to be like the classic devil with a pitchfork trying to tempt you. Um, this apocryphal book of Enoch is pretty much an allegory, um, as are most books in the Bible. The interesting thing about the Bible in particular, and the same could be same said with the Quran, the, the Talmud, um, and a lot of these more ancient books, if you look at them through the lens of like trying to read obviously between the lines and the allegory and the subtext, they're actually great magical works, especially if you look into the New Testament with Jesus. Um, they're almost like grimoires in a fashion. And if you don't know what a grimoire is, a grimoire is essentially a book compiled by an occultist that has, you know, a list of operations that you can do as far as rituals. It'll probably list spirits in there. Um, it's kind of like a journal made by someone who's practiced the occult. And if you kind of take a step back and you look at a lot of religious texts in that view and you try to read between the lines, they can actually open up your eyes to a lot of different things. Um, since my practicing of occultism and learning things i haven't really gone back and read large portions of the bible to do that um i think there's probably people who are much more skilled at that than i am um 
So that's where the idea of fallen angels comes from. It comes from the book of Enoch, which is not a book in the Bible. Um, I believe there may be some lines in Revelation that kind of hint at a, a casting out from heaven. But for the most part, the idea of fallen angels comes from the book of Enoch. And scholars around the 11th century kind of reading the apocryphal books um, and trying to make sense of lines that maybe didn't necessarily make sense to them in the uh, Bible. All right. So now that we've gone over that, we can get into the demons and how they became demonized. All right. Now, as I do this, I'm going to be showing you the sigils for the demons. So what is a sigil? It's kind of hard to describe. But what a sigil for a demon is, it's essentially a symbol that you can use to try to connect with the demon. So how you would stare at a cross and maybe reflect on um, Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, and you could maybe meditate upon that. That's kind of the same um, as a sigil. Um, usually people will use sigils to um, meditate upon them and, and call out to and reach uh, a specific spirit. So the one that we've pulled up first is uh, Lucifer. This is his sigil. Normally you would draw a circle around it too. There's a lot more that goes into sigil magic than we're going to go into today because that, again, could be its whole other video. Um, if people want me to talk about that, I would be happy to. But Lucifer. How did Lucifer become the leader of fallen angels? All right. Now, a lot of people will know that Lucifer is uh, referred to by this title of Lightbringer. Um, so back in the day, aside from the moon, Venus, it was the brightest body in the night sky. And because of its brightness, it was usually the first star that could be seen in the evening, aside from the moon. So in Roman folklore, Lucifer which meant light bringer in Latin, uh, that was the name of the planet Venus. Um, there was also a pagan goddess named Aurora, who was known as the Dawn. Um, and Lucifer was her son. And Lucifer has kind of always been attributed to Venus because it was always known as, as the morning star, the light bringer. And so how did Lucifer become known as the devil, the leader of the angels. And the name Lucifer is a mistran is a Latin mistranslation of a reading in the book of Isaiah. All right. And in the book of Isaiah, there's a king of Babylon who's being condemned in a prophetic vision by Isaiah. And again, biblical scholars around the 11th century a little bit before, maybe a little bit after. It was around that time. They were looking over not only the canonized text of the Bible, but also over the book of Enoch, a lot of the apocryphal books, because they were kind of trying to decide what should be canonized and what should not be. Um, and they attributed the quote about the morning star, which was in Latin Lucifer, to be the leader of the fallen angels. And again, so we're going to read this, this, this quote, all right? And this is talking about, in the context of if reading the chapter, it, it, the vision is about the fall of the king of Babylon. But this this mistranslation is, is very key to figuring out why Lucifer kind of became the big baddie. 
And so it said, How you have fallen from the heavens, O morning star, son of the dawn. And replace morning star, O morning star, with Lucifer. So, how you have fallen from the heavens, O Lucifer, son of the dawn. How you have been cut down to the earth, you who conquered nations. In your heart, you said, I will scale the heavens above the stars of God. I will set up my throne. I will take my seat on the mount of assembly on the heights of Ziphon. I will ascend above the top of the clouds. I will be like the most high. No, down to Sheol will you be brought to the depths of the pit. And so these Christian scholars at the time, they read this, they read Lucifer. And they attributed that to Satan or the devil being cast out of heaven instead of taking into context the fact that this was about the king of Babylon. Um, and there's a lot of debate about which king of Babylon it was, if it was Nebuchadnezzar II, if it was his son, what it meant. But if you, you read the, the quote, it says here, and you can see the makings of the Lucifer story. In your heart, you said, I will scale the heavens above the stars of God. I will set up my throne. I will ascend to the top of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And what is the classic Christian story about Lucifer? Lucifer was the brightest and the beautiful of all angels. Like Venus is the brightest star in the night sky. And he will ascend and he coveted the throne of God. And he wanted to be like God because he was so beautiful. Um, and then also there's mixed into this story um, the, the Muslim story of, of Shaitan, of Iblis. And that could be a whole separate video in and of itself. But essentially what the story of Iblis is, is in, in Muslim literature, in the Quran, there are angels um there are humans there are jinn and then there is, is shaitan and iblis who becomes the lord of the jinn and the demons and jinn are kind of in between i think christians would consider them demons but jinn are kind of this weird in between uh they're, they're more trickster archetypes than anything else um they're they're known as spirits of the smokeless fire um they're usually airy or fiery spirits um and in Islamic literature, because Iblis became shaitan, the, the, the jinn became somewhat corrupt. And that's a very big oversimplification of the entire thing. Um, we're here to talk about how demons are actually ancient gods, not demons in the classical sense. But what the story of Iblis goes is that God created mankind. Um, and Iblis was one of the the brightest and most clever of the jinn. It was said that he sat among the angels because he was just one of the best jinn. And he was one of God's good friend. And God created humans. And he said to all the angels, you know, this mankind is my greatest creation. You will bow down to mankind. And the angels did. But Iblis, he was a jinn. And jinn, unlike angels, are not bound to to have to listen to God. They don't have free will, and you'll notice that with a lot of occultists, they'll they'll say that angels have this energy of um, not being 
free willed enough being very by the book. And I disagree and agree with some concepts about occultist views on angels. Um, I personally don't see angels as having um, no free will at all. Um, personal experiences that we won't get into right now. But um, as of this moment, I don't think that angels, um, angels are just these mindless drones that serve God. Um, because the concept of a Christian God in a Christian context is uh, not as practical as people would seem. Tangent. So, Iblis is a jinn. The angels, they bow down because they have no free will. Iblis is a jinn. He has free will. And he's been a good friend to God. He's done everything that God has, has asked of him um, up until this point. And he sees humans as disgusting creatures of clay. Um, they have short lifespans, they die, they get old, they, they're sick, they carry disease. And he goes, no, I refuse. I refuse to bow to mankind. And God then curses Iblis and he becomes Shaitan. And there's no real story in the Bible where there's this being named Lucifer who is an angel who refuses to bow to mankind. But that somehow gets interwoven into the Christian story. And so the, the interesting thing about Catholicism and Christianity is a lot of the cultures that the empire, as it expanded, um, did is a lot of these concepts that we have about certain people like Lucifer um, and the fall of the angels and John Milton's uh, Paradise Lost, where Lucifer tries to rise up against God. A lot of these things are taken from uh sister religions and stuff like that it's all a big amalgamation of things that get pushed and shoved together so that's how lucifer essentially became the devil was a mistranslation of the morning star um the latin translation for morning star was lucifer and so how you have fallen from the heavens O lucifer son of the dawn uh, was taken to mean that the the devil, as we as we know him today, was named Lucifer, and that's kind of how Lucifer became synonymous with Satan or the devil. And then what we'll see throughout the centuries is the expansion of the Roman Catholic Empire and the classification of a bunch of different demons, especially around the medieval period. Um, there's no. There, there, there's no rhyme or reason to why these entities are so harshly judged if you're not looking at it from anything other than a Christian or Islamic perspective. Um, and a lot of these demons were classified as demons because the witch hunts were starting. I believe one of the episodes me and uh, Nam Wan Sakati have in the pipeline is going to be about witch trials. Um, we're going to talk about the Spanish Inquisition, uh, English uh, witch hunters, and probably some of Salem as well. Um, but it's kind of good to bring up these things in a historical context as well because what we see with the rise of the satanic panic again and um, this far-right Christian... Um, oppression especially with you know recent 
Texas abortion laws and stuff. Um, it's good for the populace to remember what Christianity has done to stamp out uh, opposing viewpoints. Because again, if you, you look at churches in Europe, they have all sorts of pagan symbolism interwoven in. Most of the major holidays celebrated by the church from Easter to uh, Christmas to All Souls Day are all based off of pagan holidays um, because they tried to kind of combine a lot of them. Um, even certain pagan entities, if you go back into a, a historical context, a lot of these spirits are kind of flipped and given this Christianized version. Um, like a lot of people, they don't tend to look at We'll take Odin, for example. They they kind of paint Odin nowadays in this white light, Jesus Christ type of archetype. But he's not actually that. He's nowhere close to that at all. He's much more of a trickster spirit and a darker entity than anything else. And that's okay. Um, working with darker entities is not a bad thing. Um, if anything, working with entities that are somewhat darker can help you get over some of the darker aspects of yourself. Um, so Lucifer, that's how he got the rap as Satan, a big mistranslation. So we're moving on to some other demons, but first, before we get into demons and how, um, we came up with all these different princes of hell and rulers of hell and stuff like that, we got to talk about again, some of these people who came up with these concepts so in part of his 1589 treaties on the confessions by evildoers and witches peter binsfield attempted to classify a number of demons of, as princes of hell um that's a concept that's taken in just regular media nowadays that there's seven princes of hell each prince of hell is synonymous with one of the seven deadly sins and the seven deadly sins are preed uh, preed oh my gosh pride greed lust envy gluttony wrath and sloth and each of these is ruled over by some evil demon overlord um peter binsfield he was to be clear a german bishop and a theologian and he was attempting to use the seven deadly sins as the basis of what demons ruled so it won't surprise people to know that lucifer who's been painted as this prideful angel who wanted to be God is the ruler of pride. All right. So then we have Maman. Now, Maman, he is uh, the demon of greed, of excess wealth. And how they came up with Maman was there is a word in Hebrew, Maman, that, that is for money. That is for excess wealth. And Maman is somewhat similar to the Greek god Plutos and the Roman uh, dispatter in his description. And it's kind of likely that he might have been based on them at the time, especially Plutus, because he appears in the Divine Comedy as this wolf-like wolf demon of wealth. Um, wolves during the Middle Ages, around the time this treatise was written, was uh, associated to have been with they were associated with greed, with, with wanting too much wealth. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas, he metaphorically described the sin of avarice as Maman being carried up from hell by a wolf coming to inflame the human heart with greed. So 
not all of the demons that are synonymous with the the seven deadly sins are necessarily gods that were worshipped. They are concepts. So like Maman, it's kind of hard to trace back any root to what he could be. Um, but there are people that work with Maman. And on the screen now, we should be showing his sigil. Um, and this sigil is something that people would use to connect with Maman, whether it was a spirit that we just don't know anything about that we can't trace back historically. And we're kind of just wondering if, okay, well, he was kind of, he was kind of like Dispatcher or, or Plutus um, in what he ruled over and what his description was. Maybe that entity decided to inhabit that name, or maybe it's a completely different entity in and of itself. Um, but there are people out there who have had relationships and a lot of success with Maman. Um, so again, it's it's interesting how mistranslations of things like Lucifer being the morning star or the word money in Hebrew being Maman get kind of turned around and, and inserted into this Christianized context. Um, the next demon, who would be the demon of lust, and in other classifications of the demon of lust, he would be considered a demon of wrath because of what uh, historically he was, is Asmodeus. Um, Asmodeus is a huge amalgamation of different entities across multiple generations um but as far back as you can go he's known as ishma deva which uh meant wrath in zoroastrianism um which is why sometimes on the list of the seven deadly sins you'll see him attributed as the demon of wrath instead of satan um and asmodeus he appears in several different key texts as a demon he appears in the lesser key of solomon which we'll talk about in a little bit as a demon and a king of hell um in zoroastrianism he was seen as a deva and the devas were considered um the darker side of the spiritual realm because in the idea of duality and good and evil essentially stems from zoroastrianism which is one of the world's oldest religions and that's actually where the concept of Satan comes in, which we'll talk about him in a minute. But Asmodeus, you can trace him all the way back to several different cultures. And he... Um, give me just a moment, people. Sorry about that, children. But so Asmodeus, he can be traced back all the way to ancient Persia as a deva of, of wrath. A lot of people worship him in rituals that uh, involve, you know, overcoming sexual addictions or obsessive compulsive disorders with people. Um, there are people who don't understand what the occult is or really how to use magic. And they will call upon certain entities to help them with things like love spells you'll hear about and stuff like that. And I've seen Asmodeus um, called upon to help with love spells. And it's kind of up to each individual person's 
um, relationship with that entity. Um, Asmodeus, in my interactions with the spirit, has uh, been very blunt. Um, he he doesn't really he doesn't like excuses. He's kind of like uh, that that father who doesn't let you get away with much of anything but again looking at the historical context of him he's not really an evil being at all um and he's just taken from an older more ancient religion then you have leviathan who is this cross is known as the leviathan cross all right it's got obviously the cross and at the bottom it's got these two circles that are the infinity circles it also looks very phallic too, <laughs> so um, take that as you will. But Leviathan, he is uh, the demon associated with en Envy. And Leviathan is uh, an amalgamation, again, of a bunch of different uh, entities. Um, it, it, in Judaism, he is known as a sea serpent who is killed by Yahweh. Um, and I do want to do a video on Judaism and its origins and how it is linked to uh, a bunch of Sumerian religions and how there's a lot of mistranslation when it comes to just the Genesis story as well and how it's pretty much yanked out of Sumerian mythology. But that's a really, really big one that we're not going to get into today. But Leviathan, he's an amalgamation. In all these different stories that we see throughout time, there's always a sea serpent that is destroyed or um, subdued by a god, and it is usually a storm god. And Yahweh in Sumerian times was actually not the only god, but he was. it was a different name for a different god. Um, there's the storm god Marduk, there's Thor and Yorwangdir, um, there is Baal-Hadad and Lotan, and that's honestly what Leviathan seems to kind of be made up of um, in, a, in a Christian context is Lotan, which was a servant of the sea god Yam, and he was defeated by the storm god um, Baal-Hadad. Um, in the the ball cycle and you know you can also see him as synonymous with you know tiamat who was the ancient uh sea serpent goddess that wound up creating the world in sumerian uh was instrumental in creating the world in sumerian mythology um so leviathan as a sea serpent in Judaism that's defeated by Yahweh. Um, it's not really anything new. It's pretty much taken from other cultures. There's other names that you could call, uh, you could call upon him by. Um, again, you have Yorgmunder, which is a very different energy. There's also, um, I, I'm not good with the Hindu names, but I believe it's Vitra. And he's defeated by Indra. Um, there's a lot of dragon and serpent comparisons when it comes to Leviathan. Um, there are a lot of different serpent energies. 
if you've ever taken psychedelics, a lot of experiences do involve snakes. Um, there's not just one snake-like spirit or sea serpent dragon spirit. There are multiples. Um, Leviathan, just from a historical context and the way that the story goes in Judaism and the fact that he's referenced in the Hebrew Bible in several different places like uh, the book of Job, book of Isaiah, uh, the book of Amos, and even in the Psalms. Um, that's why he's so prevalent and the story's pretty much taken exactly from a bunch of different other mythologies that predate the Hebrew Bible. Um, so people who work with Leviathan, I've not worked with Leviathan um, hardly at all. Um, and that is possibly because I have a strong aversion to snakes. I don't like them. Um, but there are a lot of people that work with Leviathan and he is pretty popular. And I think a lot of people have actually seen the Leviathan cross. It's one of the more popular ones alongside just the regular pentagram. Um, so I've, I've heard he's a good spirit, uh, to work with. And again, um, when it comes to serpents, especially in the occult, there is the famous symbol of the snake eating its tail, which is known as the Ouroboros. That represents the cyclical nature of man. Um, the serpent is always eating its tail and like encircling the world um, to keep things spinning. And then when it is killed is when Ragnarok comes and the destruction of mankind and chaos. So it's kind of a representation of both the duality and cyclical nature of life, but it is also indicative of order and chaos. And usually in these stories, the God of order we'll use Thor, for example, comes to slay Jorgmundir. Um, and in the slaying of Jorgmundir, instead of bringing order, it causes chaos. So it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition. We could do whole videos on just what snake symbolism means in all different religions. And it seems to be something that is at least based in, in the unconscious mind of people because you can look at civilizations all over the world completely separated from time and there is sea serpent and dragon um mythologies and symbols throughout all ancient cultures um but when it comes to leviathan being a demon it's kind of just snatched up from the canaanite sea serpent lotan or tiamat or any of those older pagan beings again catholicism in particularly in Christianity, were trying to create an empire. And in creating an empire, they adopted a lot of different mythologies that kind of became mainstay that aren't necessarily part of the Bible. Um, moving along, we have Beelzebub uh, as gluttony. Um, Beelzebub is... This is what his symbol looks like, his sigil. Um, Beelzebub is interesting because... Um, he is taken, his name is taken from uh, Baal Peor. Um, so the word Baal, we're going to go over this really quick because there's several in, there's several demons that we're going to talk about shortly here that are named Baal. Um, and Baal is essentially a word that means, it's an honorific meaning owner or lord um, in the Northwestern Semitic languages. So 
I mentioned Baal Haddad. Baal Haddad was a god, um, and it essentially meant Lord Haddad. Um, I'm not sure what the the name Haddad means, or if that's just the god's name, but Baal was the honorific. Um, and so also another signifier, meaning Lord or Master, from Sumerian technology in the Mesopotamian region of Akkad, Assyria, and Babylonia was Bel. So Bel and Baal are honorifics, meaning Lord or Master. And there are many different um there are many different gods of that ancient time that were given the honorific of of Bel or Baal, meaning Lord of a region or Lord of um a specific uh a specific uh designation like Hadad is a storm god. So maybe Baal Hadad means Lord Storm God or whatever back in the ancient languages. Um so any any demon that has Baal or or Bel in it is easily traced back to at least a certain region or people that worship that entity. And so Beelzebub actually translates to uh, Baal Peor. And Baal Peor, he was a god of the Moabites. Um, and so, in my note real quick. So in um, Numbers 25 verses 1 through 3, the Israelites are encamped at uh, Shittim, and the Israelite men began to fraternize with the Moabite women. And they start, you know, having sex with them, and they start worshiping their gods, including the god Baal, at the peak of Mount Peor. So Baal was the lord or the god of Mount Peor, and that's who they worship. So Baal Peor, eventually over time, languages get weird. They, they name him Beelzebub, and Baal Peor, or Beelzebub, can be translated to meaning Lord of the Flies. And that is why um, he gets kind of lumped in with gluttony, because what do flies do around large piles of... Um, rotting food or the like and that's kind of why he gets known as like this uh what we would call like a fly-like demon is because of the translation beelzebub or balzebub is another name for him um balzebub oh, i've been talking about belfagor this entire time i'm stupid so sorry balfagor is the Lord of Sloth, and he is known as Balpior. Sorry. So, Belfagor, did I get his? So, Balfagor, he's kind of weird because there's not really a sigil for him. People have made up sigils for him, but I didn't find anything that was really calling out to me. So, Balfior, and this is why I brought up the balls, because there's so many different demons that are named Ball. So, Bal Belfagor, the honorific Belfagor, which got mistranslated into Peor, he was worshipped by the Mo Moabites. Now, Beelzebub, <clears throat> who is gluttony, his honorific was Baal Zebub. All right? Again, this can get confusing. That's why it's good to know these things. So Beelzebub, 
the one who's on screen right now, he is derived from a Philistine god. He was worshipped in um, Ekron. And Belzebub, again, if you translate it down to Baal and then Zebub, means Lord of the Flies or Lord of the Flies. And that's why Belzebub is usually depicted as this fly god. Um, and again, none of these Canaanite gods at the time were demonic in any way. They were gods of harvest, gods of rain, storms. Again, Belphegor, Baal Pior, he was god of this, this mountain that the Moabites lived on and they worshipped and he protected them. Uh, Beelzebub, he was kind of synonymous but not quite with Baal Hadad because he was a lord of the flies. Um, so over time, just languages either get mistranslated or, or lost. And then in the medieval ages, we see this rise of... Um, all these different demons, demons that were once gods. All right, so on to the big one, which would be Satan. We've talked about Belphegor, Sloth, Beelzebub, Gluttony. We had Leviathan, who is Envy, Asmodeus is Wrath, Maman is Greed, and Lucifer is Pride. Satan, the big one, devil with the goat horns. How did he come about? Now, Satan is interesting because... Again, Lucifer kind of became synonymous with Satan due to the fallen angels thing. But on this list that uh, Peter Binsfield came up with, he um, classifies Lucifer as the Prince of Pride and Satan as the Lord of Wrath. So how does that happen? What's up with that? Um, Satan comes from a lot of different words and in, in judah in uh jewish mysticism they don't really have a satan um there's no real like evil entity that's more of a christian and islamic concept um in islam satan or shaitan is iblis iblis the the jinn who refused to bow down to humans um, in Christianity, he's a little harder to pin down because he's Lucifer, but he's also, you know, this red guy with a pitchfork and a pointed tail and horns. Um, in the Bible, he's mentioned as the great red dragon in the book of Revelation. Um, they also say that Satan tempted Jesus in the desert when he went to fast. I believe it was for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, he also goes to God and tells him to, um, test Job. So there are, there are mentions of Satan as this, this trickster archetype, but, um, the idea of him being this, this horned goat like demon more comes from um, people demonizing the Greek god Pan, who was uh, he was a fawn, and he was the lord of the forest, and he was uh, he's he was very Dionysian, in that he liked uh, to do music and drink and have sex and all these these things that puritanical Christians do not agree with. So, um, Satan is. 
more of a concept that was bred out of Zoroastrianism because in Zoroastrianism, you have a god and you have a, a, a devil that are juxtaposed against each other. Um, and the god, I cannot remember what his name is, but uh, the devil is known as Angra Manu or Ariman in uh, Persian. And he is known as the the devil to um, Arumazda is the name of what they would consider God. And so in Zoroastrianism, there's there it's broken down into a very black and white good and evil. There's no grays in between. And that's kind of how the concept of Satan came about. He's kind of taken from this, he's this opposing force that's supposed to oppose God and brings about evil and suffering on earth. Because when you look at the Christian religion or Islam, it's not God punishing us. It's God, it's it's us punishing ourselves and being tempted and used by the devil and Satan. Because mankind has to have an answer to why there is suffering because God is supposed to be all good and all loving. Um, if you actually look at God in the way that Yahweh is depicted in the Old Testament, um, he's kind of a dick. <laughs> um, he wipes out the entire population of the earth. Um, he lets Lot's wife turn into uh, salt and destroys an entire city. Um he's he's very murderous and so this concept that current day christians have of this uh jesus like all loving all accepting god who's never wrathful is not the god of the old testament um and it's interesting how people can sort of there's leaps in logic that you have to take to understand to not understand that um god from the bible didn't just suddenly change when jesus came around and then there was suddenly redemption for all um there's so many leaps in logic and also there's no looking back at the history of how these books were made or the times that they came from um and that's why it's good to do research into anything you believe whether it is, you know, you, you want to believe that there's nothing out there at all and you want to be atheist, then you should definitely do research into that. If you believe in the occult and you believe in, you know, gods like like Thor or, you know, Lucifer or even angels like Michael, then you should do research into where these beings came from. And also you should try reaching out. Um the best way to learn anything is through trial and error and blind belief is the biggest um, pitfall of the major religions because again we're looking at all these these demons and we're, we're going through this list and we're just finding that the majority of them were gods of canaanites akkadians uh, zoroastrianism and such and uh even roman deities 
and these deities have all been co-opted into demons that Israelites and, and Christians and, and it, people from Islam have fought against and wanted to conquer um, because it was all about whose deity is greater. Um, Yahweh comes from a pantheon of Sumerian gods. Um, he was he he was one of the children of El. Um, so how we talked about how Baal and Bel mean Lord, there is also El El in Sumerian uh, mythology, and there are the sons of El, which is actually mentioned in Genesis. If you read the original text, it says the sons of El came down, and we made mankind in our image not r as in singular as how we've translated the bible to mean god saying we will create them in our image but plural as in we are creating mankind in the image of the gods so that's why it's you have to be very careful in your your research and very critical in your thinking when it comes to looking at texts that are old that are said to be written by divine providence because if you can start to look at words that are written by the divine and find holes in it, looking at surrounding regions and the things that we know now, then maybe it's not written by the divine. That's not for, for me to say or anybody else to say. It's to every own individual's personal beliefs. But I'm giving historical context to these entities that have been demonized. All right, so... Those are the seven princes of hell. Now, there are some people who will look up demonic king and different entities come up, different lists come up. Um, that could be because of the Ars Goetia, which is one of the lesser keys of Solomon. And the lesser key of Solomon is a list of 72 demons that a lot of these sigils are taken from. And... It is said in the myth that um, Solomon, he received a ring and he figured out a way to evoke all of these 72 demons and he confined them to a bronze vessel like the genie in Aladdin and they helped him build the Temple of Solomon. Um, and the Ars Goetia, it assigns a rank and a title of nobility to each member of the infernal hierarchy. So, for example, the sigil on screen currently is Baal. B-A-E-L, so Baal or Baal, B-A-A-L. So it has the, it's interesting because they tried to make sure that it wasn't Baal in the spelling, which is the honorific for all the gods of Canaanite religions, like Baal Hadad, and they switched it to Baal. But funnily enough, E-L or B-E-L is also an honorific in a bunch of Mesopotamian areas. So Baal in the Goetia is depicted as this demon king with the head of a man and, and the head of a, I, th I think it's a cat and something else and the body of like this dragon-like monster. But if you actually do your research into who Baal is, turns out that Baal is just, a weird reading of the word ball and ball could be any number of beings. There is one ball who is, you could say the Lord of all the balls, 
um, and he is somewhat synonymous with uh, another entity known as as Moloch. I don't know if they're the same entity using different names or if they are, you know, brothers of some lineage or something, but he's usually depicted as a, a bull-like uh, a bull-like humanoid who helps with like the harvest and fertility and stuff like that. A lot of these gods are taken like, and they're given this, this dark context, but a lot of them like, again, Beelzebub, Bel Pior, um, Baal, a lot of them are, are taken and they're twisted in this dark way, but a lot of them are just gods of harvest and fertility and such. Um, so like if you were trying to, you know, you know, get pregnant or something like that, you might make some type of offering of, you know, it might've been an animal, but it might've just been, you know, like, like how uh, Cain did in the Bible of, of fruits and vegetables or something like that, a mini offering to try to appease and, and ask the gods to, to help you the same way that Christians will, will pray to Jesus or God and, you know, heal this family member of this disease or, you know, bring good fortune to me or uh, give me strength to overcome this obstacle. That's what a lot of these demons did. The, these, these demons that are not actually demons, but are, are gods. That's what they did. And they've been demonized by cultures that were trying to conquer them. Um, other gods you have are like Paimon. This is his sigil. We have Beleth again, B-E-L, Bel F Person Vine Balam Zagon and Belial. So for each of the ones that we just went through, those are the nine kings of the Goetia. So we did the seven princes of hell, um, which are the rulers of hell, and the Ars Goetia, or the lesser king of Solomon. These are the kings of the Goetia. And the kings serve one of four demons. There's Lucifer, Amaimon, Asmodeus is one of the kings, but he's also a ruler of hell, but he's also subservient to Lucifer. So... A lot of these medieval texts and these religious texts were trying to attribute it, attribute offices to these beings, to these these people, they these entities they consider demons, um, because that's the way their structures were set up. So if you read a lot of grimoires, you'll see that like um, Belial is a king of hell, but he's subservient to Amaimon, who is the emperor of hell, because he's the emperor of the east, and so on and so forth. It gets very convoluted and, and hard to understand um and a lot of the ones that are mentioned in the goetia unfortunately it's hard to find any information on what cultures they came from because so many cultures have so many different entities and some of these translations of these names are so very different from what the actual names are it's hard to kind of place them so a lot of people will work with people out of the goetia with these different sigils like Pyman, and there's They'll attribute, they'll try to attribute that spirit to someone who is, uh, to someone who is close to sharing that energy. Um, like a lot of people will say that Paimon and Azazel are just different masks of each other. They're the same being with different energies or whatever. And I don't work with any type of 
entity that way. I don't try to say like uh, Saint Michael, the Archangel, also has the same energy as uh, Zeus. And so Zeus and Michael are the same person. That's kind of a weird, um, a weird way of putting it. But you get my point. Any spirit that people work with you should try to work with that spirit and put aside any type of biases when it comes to whether or not they might be something from a, an older culture so like in the instance of beazelbub i don't call on beazelbub if i was going to call on beazelbub in a ritual i wouldn't call on balzebub I, I would just call on beazelbub using the sigil given if I wanted to speak to the entity Balzabub or he wanted to be addressed that way, that would be different. But it's almost like they start to inhabit these masks over the time or these names that they've been given or some maybe unknown entity that is is grown more powerful kind of steps up and maybe there's Balzabub, the old god, and now there's Bezelbub, who is, is a different being. When it comes to spirits and how they work, there's no scientific rhyme or reason. We don't know. We don't know. We can't prove that there's a human soul unless, you know, you take psychedelics and you go to spirit realms and stuff like that. There's no provable way of proving transcendental meditation, astral travel, um, lucid dreaming in and of itself is, is a, is a thing of contention. Um, when talking about people like psychoanalysts, like Sigmund Freud or Alfred Adler or Carl Jung or, um, Jacques Lucan, it's you, you can't prove what consciousness is, and it becomes a tricky subject. Um, just like things like the MBTI personality tests in astrology, they seem to be pretty accurate when you're looking at through the lens of you know yourself, but scientifically, you can't prove it. So, that was a long way of saying if you're going to reach out to any entity i would reach out to it in the most current form that you can reach out to it in and then from there maybe you go back and you find out more history about the true origins of that entity but i digress so belial we'll talk about him for a minute because i've interacted with belial before i did not know who belial was when he came to me during uh a meditation and who belial is is he's one of the few that you could say might be considered a true demon. Um, and that would be because Belial in uh, Hebrew means worthless one. And he was seen as this entity that again, was a Satan like figure. Satan has so many different names um, attributed to him when it comes to Judaism and, uh, even Islam and Christianity, Christianity is special. There are so many different names for the devil. But Belial seemed to them. Um, and he was known as the worthless one and uh, a god of uh, rebellion. And that's what a lot of these demons, as we see, get attributed to because they're all about free will and doing as, do as thou wilt, as Aleister Crowley said. Um, Belial is a spirit who encourages you to uh, question everything um, and to not obey. Because also, translations of worthless one, there's also translations that say he is without a master. He is the wild one. Um, 
So thinking of it in that context is interesting. A funny story about Belial. Um, Belial, with my first inter, not my first interaction. It might have been my second or third one with him. He said, "You need to not, you need to learn to not obey and to not bow down all the time." Okay, I I understand. I, I understand. No, you're not listening. Don't. You, you shouldn't bow down. You shouldn't have to obey. You should you think critically, you know, be your own master, you know, be your own teacher. Yes, I understand. I, I, I will not obey. You're not getting it because you're obeying. <laughs> and I went circular for a very long time. Um, there are a lot of entities that will... Uh, They'll push you to be independent, but there are certain entities that, that enjoy being uh, doted upon and worshipped. I wouldn't say that Belial doesn't want people to, uh, and I don't believe in worship. Let's be clear there. I don't think that you should worship, um, how should I put this? I think when it comes to spirits, you should use the... Um, the idea of treating them as you would a good friend. So think of it this way, and this might sound arrogant and off-putting, especially to somebody who's used to, you know, begging or, you know, praying a lot. It's okay to ask spirits to do things for you or to help you achieve something, or to help you get something tangible to heal somebody. And that's kind of like their their purpose is to kind of help and guide, right? They're to be guides. Um, But approach them as if they are a king and you are a king. And what I mean by that is when you're interacting with spirits, don't just take everything they say as the word of God. Um, it's okay to question things. Um, and if you're going to, if you're going to ask a spirit to do something for you, it, it, there needs to be a give and take. And this isn't, uh, this is where this idea of selling your soul to the devil comes from. Um, you should never sell your soul to anybody. And if the, the devil, as the Christians depicted were true, was true, he wouldn't want you to sell a soul to him anyway, because he, he, thinks that you should be free to do as thou wilt. Um, but it's okay. And people do ask spirits to help them, you know, heal sick family members or, or gain wealth or ACE tests and stuff like that. And that's fine. But there, you wouldn't go to a fellow king and say, um, I need a loan and not expect him to want something in return. And that's where the idea of offerings come in. And, Again, this is a satanic panic notion of uh, you need to, you know, the Satanists are out there sacrificing babies and all the people worshiping Odin are, are racists who, who want to who wanna kill everybody. Um, there's nothing further from the truth than that. Um, a lot of people nowadays, um, even some of the more edgy people online who practice the occult, they offer spirits like sweets or like pops and stuff like that. Um, spirits, they don't, 
really need anything because they're of a dimension that's not the physical, but they enjoy this physical experience because in my understanding of how the spiritual realms work, it's almost hive-minded. There are individual personalities within this hive mind, but it's all working as a whole. Like they have their own individual goals, but at the same time, they're kind of separate and the same they're all working towards the same goals but individually it's really weird because as as a person who is who is singular and has a very singular experience like this is my body these are my thoughts for the most part i, I don't know where consciousness comes from but i'm very static and separated from like my sons in the next room I don't know what they're thinking. I might have a good guess at what they're thinking or if they're misbehaving or certain things, but I don't know what they're thinking all the time. Whereas in the spiritual realms, it seems like everybody knows what everybody is thinking, but also separate from one another. And spirits really enjoy um, a singular like experience of being like in a body cut off. Um, but now we're going on a rant. So Belial, the worthless one, without a master he's a he's an interesting guy i i appreciate his uh humor so another one that is very popular and these are the last few popular ones we're going to talk about and then i'm going to wind it down but so astroth astroth is uh sometimes he's lumped in with the seven deadly princes other times he is lumped in with uh kings in certain uh demon uh lists uh a lot of elites actually really like astroth he's usually if he's lumped in with the seven deadly sins he's usually seen as one of the ones of greed um of wealth astroth if you just look at the name and you could honestly do a lot of i i'm sure wikipedia has a lot of these things so if you went on wikipedia and you looked up astroth i'm sure it would tell you that Astaroth is um, derived from the goddess Astarte, who is a different name for the goddess um, Inanan, who is synonymous with uh, Ishtar. Or actually, I believe it's Astarte, because Astarte was a Phoenician goddess which was the Babylonian equivalent of Ishtar, and then Ananan would be the Sumerian equivalent because each of those cultures are from different periods, the Phoenicians, the Babylonians, and the Sumerians. And so this is where a lot of debate comes into, so if you're working with Astaroth, are you working with Astarte? Or if you work with Astarte, are you working with Ishtar? Or if you're working with Ishtar, are you working with Inanin? Because all these goddesses, Astarte, Ishtar, and Inanin, are, are kind of attributed to each other in different periods. And the answer is, do what's best for you. All right? There's no right way of doing it. Astaroth can be his or her own entity. And a lot of these demons are depicted as male but there are plenty of people who call upon lucifer who have him appear sometimes as a male or sometimes as a female or an androgynous figure so astaroth is seen as a male 
but really he comes from the name comes from Astarte, which is a goddess. So some people have Astaroth appear as a male demon looking thing, or they will have them appear as a goddess. Um, I plan on doing my own channel eventually at some point. I got to kick myself in the ass because, you know, being creative gets hard. But I want to have a lot of discussions about these occult things and my own experiences with spirits, but also my own like studies into the occult because um, these things get very hard and tricky. Um, and when it comes down to, to visualizing or, or seeing spirits, um, there are people who can see spirits very easily there are others who can't they have to imagine um everybody has their own different way of doing things but the spirits are formless they don't if you called on yahweh that's why he's depicted as like this ray of light because there's not a real there's no real clear image of what these spirits are they're all made up from the imagination and sometimes it's good to have an idea of what they're going to look like to better connect with them because sometimes you need that, but it's not necessarily necessary. Um, so Astaroth, if some people work with the male form, other people work with the female version of Astaroth or Astarte or Ishtar or Ananan, none of it really matters at the end of the day. Whatever works for the practitioner works for the practitioner. Up next, we have Abaddon. Abaddon's a really popular one abaddon is also known as uh a guardian of the abyss of the void abaddon is kind of synonymous with uh a place and also a spirit um you see the same with uh hades hades is seen as the devil but he's actually the guardian of the underworld in greek mythology um and hades is also a place so that's where these things get weird and confusing and it's good if you're going to be practicing the occult or doing just research into it to make sure that you're getting the proper context for where a lot of these names come from. Um, so that is it for all the sigils. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, basically the idea was demons. They're misunderstood and misrepresented because they're all taken from either mistranslations of certain words or mistranslations of um, names and they're an amalgamation of things being mishmashed together and um, the Christians trying to co-opt as many different um, people into their religion as possible. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoyed this. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. I think I'm going to do one or two more solo podcasts by myself. I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about on the next one. Um, so if you guys like this, share this around. If you want me to talk about more stuff that is, you know, about the occult, maybe in a more broad sense, like what are sigils? How do you use them? Or just my own personal experiences. I'm open to talking about that. At some point, I'll have my own channel, Jareth R. Blackstar up and running and i'll be talking about all sorts of different things but in the meantime while now one sakati's off um if you guys want me to talk about some more of that stuff i can i think i want to talk about carl jung some because i think carl jung 
when it comes to talking about psychology, psychoanalysis and such, and how these different symbols uh, are seen across mankind and how we can use them. That might be cool, um, but I will have at least one more, if not two more solo ones for you guys in the next couple weeks. And stay safe and have a good evening. And like, share, subscribe, and I will see you guys on the next one.